Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Monday, January the 23rd, 2023. It is currently 8.49 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. It's Monday night. What do you say we talk about discernment and conviction? Sermon and conviction. What, what do you think? What do you think? Do you think, does that sound like a great idea? I hope so. Discernment and conviction, that is what we're going to be talking about this evening as we do another episode of the Bible Bible Study Exercise podcast series. Wow, that's a mouthful. Good evening, everyone, as we do another episode of the Bible Study Exercise podcast series for what? This is week number two. I guess technically week number three or week number four because we kind of did some pre-show studies. We did some pre-study studies, uh, but this is around week two or week three, depending how you count it, of what will be about a seven-week study on the subject of discernment. But tonight we're going to look at how discernment relates to conviction because the curriculum we use kind of connects these two concepts together. And I grabbed a notebook, wrote down some thoughts, been thinking about it, and hopefully I can get you to do the same thing. If you've been participating in the Bible study exercise, you know what you're supposed to be working on. A word study on discernment. Hopefully that's going well. Hopefully things are going okay. I haven't really received very many emails about it. Nobody's really said much about problems or difficulties. Everyone seemed, I, either either the silence means no one's participating or the silence means no one is having any problems with the method. But if you need any help, always email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I'll be more than happy to assist you and help you in any way that I can. I really will. I will. That's that's the job of the Bible study exercise. I, I can turn on the microphone and teach. And there's a place for that. And there's sometimes I do that. But there are, I think there needs to be, there has to be room within the world of Christian podcasting and Christian broadcasting and sermons and all the other things that are available to people. There needs to be a program that kind of says, hey, you, yeah, you on the couch with the bag of Doritos, Put the Doritos down, get off the couch, go over to the table, grab some reference tools, grab a Bible, grab a pencil, and start digging into the text yourself. I will help you. I will guide you. Let's study together. Don't just listen to someone else study, but you dig into the text and study for yourself. And I, we attempt to do that by having the curriculum, giving you homework, giving you assignments, and, and sometimes turning on the microphone and doing the teaching in a way which doesn't really feel like teaching. It's more like, well, it could be this, or what about this, or I don't know. What do you think? And, and so that you will, you're sitting there yelling at me, well, it's it's got to be that, right? And so then you find yourself getting involved. So I think that our our program, what we're trying to do is unique, and I personally think it's more necessary than it's ever been. We need Christians actually getting involved with the study of God's Word. So, let's not waste any more time. What do you say? Discernment and conviction. Now, let's put this together. The curriculum last week gave us Genesis chapter 3. And I think our approach to Genesis chapter 3 was unique because I I am arguing that the first example of discernment found in the entire Bible is actually seen in the serpent slash Satan, Satan utilizing the serpent, who is more subtle. And we talked about, depending on how you look up the variations of spelling, you can look up some definitions and subtle will literally lead you to the idea of discernment or being discerning. Satan utilized discernment, was discerning, looking at Eve, looking at the situation, and he used that discernment to move her from someone obeying God, walking with God, to someone rebelling and disobeying God. He was using discernment in a negative way. And then we kind of saw how Eve, she, Satan using his discernment, gets her to 
turn away from all the trees which she can partake of to focus on the one she can't partake of. And then the next thing she knows, she goes from what she can have to focusing on what she can't have. And then the next thing she knows, what's motivating her is not the word of God. What is, what is now the way she's going to discern, the way she's going to judge the situation is not based on God's word. She now goes to what looks pleasant what is pleasurable, what will, you know, what will be, what will make her feel better. In fact, we read it. I'll just read, read the words for you because we talked about it in uh, church on Sunday. We, we, we really kind of dug into this a little bit more because I think it's important. We see this when she saw that the tree was good for food, she saw, right? So it's not God's word. It's her seeing that it was pleasant. What was, so what she saw or what she was looking at to what was pleasant, what would bring pleasure. And then uh, the third one is to be desired to make one wise. So instead of her discernment being based on God's word, her discernment was now being driven by, and let me go through these again, what was, what, what, what was good for food or what, or let's do it this way. What she saw that was good for food, what she saw, what was pleasant, and what was to be desired. It was seeing, it was feeling, it was desiring. That's what was driving her discernment. We could break that down a number of ways. I, I, I want to say it a bunch of different ways, but in a lot of ways, I haven't nailed it down and I haven't tried to clean it up because I'm trying to get you to process that. Here, she had, God had given her his word. This is what you can and can't do. Satan comes along, uses discernment to move her attention from what she can have to what she can't have. And then what now her discernment is not based off God's word. Her discernment is now based off, again, Genesis 3, Genesis 3, 6, what the woman saw, what she is seeing, what is pleasant to the eyes. Now, it's interesting what the, the woman saw that the, uh, the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. And in some ways, it's kind of saying the same thing. But I just think she sees something. Oh, that look, that's good for food. That's good for food, right? That that makes sense, right? In other words, using kind of a, a fleshly reason, that's good for food almost. Then she sees what's pleasant. There's kind of the emotions. And then what she desires to be wise, which kind of we, we focus on pride. And when you know that kind of connects to 1 John 2, which we talked about on Sunday. But please note, he used his discernment, being subtle, a wrong discernment to impact her discernment. Because she was no longer discerning on the basis of God's word, but she was, if you can think about it this way, what was motivating her discernment was not the external word of God, but these internal feelings and desires. And that's what I really placed an emphasis on, on Sunday, really trying to get that point across because I think it's very, very important. But the first example of discernment really is seen in Satan because he's more subtle and again, we talked about all of that. Now, that's what the curriculum gave us. Now, this week, I, I, I've been somewhat baffled by it, but I see what they're trying to do. This week, the curriculum gave us Acts chapter 2, verses 32 to 41. Acts chapter 2, verses 32 to 41. And this is the way they, the curriculum, This is it's called session 2. This is really what they want us to consider, right? So we've talked about discernment, right? And we've really tried to focus in on what is motivating that discernment, right? Is it the external word of God or is it all these internal things which we've, we've spoken of? Session two in the curriculum just starts with a question. Does it bring conviction? Does it bring conviction? Now, as soon as I saw the curriculum, I got a little nervous. I got a little nervous because I think sometimes when it comes to the, the, the idea of discernment and conviction, there is a wrong idea in the minds of many Christians and they may, they may not verbalize the wrong idea if, like, you ask them the direct question. If push came to shove, they may not say it the wrong way. But in practice, I think it happens all the time, and you'll see what I mean by this. So, does it bring conviction? Now, when I read that in the curriculum, I immediately had some problems 
But I was curious, like, what, so I wonder what scripture they're going to go. What scripture are they going to go with this? And of course, as I've already indicated, they gave us Acts chapter 2, verses 32 to 41. And all I could think about was, oh, no. Acts chapter 2. So many theological disputes and controversies and issues in Acts chapter 2, but especially 32 to 41. I mean, you just want to talk about theological controversy. It's there all day. So I am painfully aware that Acts 2, 32 through 41 brings up all kinds of issues surrounding the issue of baptism. I am very aware of that. And as a result of that, we have done a couple of things. I did two messages in our series on law and gospel, trying to see how baptism relates to the subject of a proper distinction between law and gospel. All right. Those are posted. Those are available in the series, Understanding Law and Gospel. We also have started a series. We've only done one episode so far. We haven't created the series and done the artwork yet, but we'll get that all done soon. We have started a series about the early baptism in the early church or the early church and baptism. I don't know exactly how we're going to name it. I think we're going to call it um, baptism in the early church. And I gave everyone three historical sources I wanted everyone to look at. The Didache um, on baptism by Tertullian and Hippolytus on the apostolic tradition. I think that's how you say it. I don't have his name in front of me, but I believe it's Hippolytus is how you say it. All right, so Tertullian, I believe it's Tertullian, right? Um, yeah, I don't have all the names in front of me, but the Didache, a Tertullian on baptism, and Hippolytus, the apostolic tradition. Three historical sources. And what I wanted everyone to do is to go through these three historical sources because these three historical sources get you from around 70 A.D., to about 220, 225 AD. So you can see in these three documents how the early church, what they said about baptism, and what you'll see is maybe, wait a minute, does this kind of contradict? Is there kind of some confusion? Is, is the subject evolving? Right. But the key is just to see what it says, not to even try to interpret it, just to see it. Then we're going to compare that to scripture, and then we're going to do some more on the subject. So we're not ignoring the baptism that's mentioned in the curriculum. We are not mentioning uh, the, the, the baptism in any way that's mentioned in the curriculum because, because we, can't, we can't ignore it. We can't ignore it. But we can't really, if we try to dig into the baptism as a part of this study, we're not going to be talking about discernment and conviction. We're going to be talking about baptism. So we're not ignoring it, but we're moving it over to a separate series, all right? Now, I'm opening up the Discord channel really quick. Um, okay, uh, someone just asked a question about baptism in the um, Discord channel. But I think, did we give all the documents here? Uh, let's see here. Where did we, did we save all the documents? Someone posted all the documents, I thought. Let me see if I can find them. Let me see if I can find them. I thought we moved them to the PDF file, but maybe we didn't. Um, let's see here. If I can find them all. If I can find them all. I'm, I'm scrolling up. There's, we post a lot of stuff. <laughs> We post a lot of stuff in the channel. All right, hang on. Let's see here. If I can find them. Yeah, I may not be able to find them. But Tertullian, I believe it's Tertullian. Uh, oh, wait, hang on. Let's go to, let's go here. If I can find the documents. Where do they post the documents? Where do they post the documents? Which channel did we post the documents? Okay, yeah, Tertullian on baptism. All right, so I was correct on that. Tertullian on baptism. I know the Didache. And then the only other one is, let's see here, Hippolytus, apostolic tradition. All right, so I got all three right. Uh, so the Didache, um, Tertullian on baptism, and Hippolytus, apostolic tradition. I wanted to make sure I had all of those right because I would hate to have wrong information out on a podcast episode. So that's those are the three historical sources we're going to look at. And so we've got that series going on, Early Church and Baptism, and we'll continue to work on that. So we're not ignoring it. I just knew that when the curriculum gave me Acts chapter 2, I'm like, 
what do I do? Do I turn the whole study of discernment and conviction, that's what they want us to look at this week, into a study on baptism? I can't ignore it. So that's why we did that. So I don't want anyone to feel like, well, wait a minute. We got baptism to deal with. We do. And we're going to have to use discernment to uh, once again study that very important topic and try to come to a correct understanding of it. And the, the reason we're doing it the way, I, because someone, I think someone emailed me and said, well, just do a teaching on baptism. Well, first of all, you don't understand the way I do things. The whole goal with everything I do is to get you involved. And I get sick and tired of everyone saying, well, the early church thought this, or the early church thought this, and they say it so dogmatically, like there was just one unified idea. So when you take three early, early documents, really before the the baptismal concept that really dominates the church, say from three, four hundred AD, maybe five hundred AD up to say the Reformation. Um, I think when you look at the, what was happening leading up to that, you can see a lot of like, well, wait a minute. Well, how is that? Was, wait, what did they think? Wait, wait. So you should do it, but you should delay it. Like, you know, Tertullian telling you, well, you should delay it for children. And why you should delay it is because, well, they could grow up and have an evil dip disposition. And that wouldn't be fair to the sponsors. Or the sponsors who are there for the baptism of the child could decide not to do their job. So what you should do is wait until basically the child asks for it. Well, there, there's Tertullian and the 200s right there. And, and so you're like, well, wait, is it necessary? Is it not necessary? Why are you saying delay it? And so it raises all of these questions. So we, that, that we're definitely not ignoring that. We're definitely not ignoring that that we will work on it. I just want to make sure because I don't want anyone to perceive that, oh, look, he's scared of baptism. That's why he's not going to cover it because the text for this week for the Bible study exercise is Acts chapter two. And that section has all kinds of issues related to baptism. Very aware of that. We're not ignoring it. We're not neglecting it. We're going we're gonna to face it head on and see where we end up. And as always, I set aside every belief I've ever had on the subject to study it anew once again, because I don't rely on past conclusions in present study, because what if the past conclusions were wrong? So I'm always trying to study things anew. Now, that took a long time. We're at 17 minutes. We still haven't gotten to discernment and conviction. Are you ready? Here we go. Acts chapter 2. Verse 32. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. I'm starting right where the curriculum wants us to start. All right, Acts chapter 2. All we're going to focus on here is where conviction shows up. That, that's, all, that's all we're supposed to do tonight, right? We're just looking for conviction. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith, uh, saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foe foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, there's some clear references to the Old Testament there, some clear references. You may be able to know that cross-reference. We, we may try to do something and work on that. But please note, after giving this Old Testament information, right, Here's the truth, right? In other words, basically what is happening here in the text, if we go with the concept of discernment, hey, guys, 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 you see everything happening here. It's the day of Pentecost. Everything that's happening, all the stuff that's occurred, right? Everything that's happened, all of the, the news of Jesus being crucified, his body missing, everything that's going on. Here is what you need to discern what is happening. And what you need to discern what is happening is not rumor, not conspiracy, not your emotions, not your feelings, not your traditions, but you need the word of God. And he points them back to the Psalms, right? He gives them the Psalms. And basically, this is how it concludes, right? 
therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. The man that you crucified has now been made both the Lord and the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. That's how you need to discern what's going on. And and again, I, I stress this so much in discernment. Well, we need the thing that must drive our discernment. Our discernment must always be based on that which is outside of ourselves, which is the transcendent, inerrant, preserved, perfect word of God. Now, I know that we get involved in that process, right? Because we read it and we study it and our interpretation arises from within us and we're fallible. But still, as much as possible, we've got to lay aside our feelings, our emotions, our opinions, our thoughts. Uh, the way we were raised, where the geographical region in which we live, what we must do is come to the word of God. And that's how we discern things. So in this crazy situation, the focus is on the word of God. I think that's important. Now look what happens. Now, when they heard this, they heard the word of God, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, that's where baptism comes in, and we can go round and round and round and round about all of that. We will discern the baptism part in another series, as I've already mentioned. But here comes, and since we have the discernment, right? Hey, wait, wait, we've got... We've got the tongues of fire, people speaking different languages. We got all of this stuff going on. What is happening? You see, this Jesus that was supposedly was crucified and died and was buried, his body is missing. It's just been chaos ever since all of that, right? There's been confusion. There's been hearsay. And so basically what they're given, if you need to discern what's happening, it's right here. It's found in the Psalms. And this Christ that you crucified, or Jesus whom you crucified, has now been made. God has made him Lord and Christ. There's how you discern it. Now they have the discernment. They've been given the truth. Now we read of the conviction. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. There's the conviction. Now let's look at this word, the Greek word, for pricked in their heart. If you open up the Blue Letter Bible app, if you open up the Blue Letter Bible app, you're going to get this Greek word. Strong's G 2660, Katanusamai, Thayer's lexicon, Katanuso, Katanuso. Katanuso is what I would know. Katanuso, Katanusamai, I, I probably wouldn't even have. If I didn't look it up, Contenuso is what I, I would have gone with. Contenuso, and it's used one time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's used one time, and it's used right here in Acts 2. And the Greek word here means Contenuso, and then it, has, it comes from different uh, you know, variations. It means to pierce th- thoroughly, th- thoroughly. It means to agitate violently, sting to the quick, to prick. All right. So it is it is to it, it is a piercing that goes all the way deep inside. It's not where you just kind of just barely nick the skin. I mean, it's driving all the way into the center of you. All right. It means to prick, to pierce. That can mean just to prick. It can. So let's be it can mean just to sting. It can mean that. But it means to pierce through. It means to, and sting to the quick. So even the sting is a deep sting. It's uh, to pain the mind sharply, to agitate it vehemently. uh, It's the, uh, the idea of emotion, of sorrow. All right? It is, it's not something minor. It's something that's deep. And so they are, they're, in a sense, pricked to the heart. It's pierced their heart. This information goes deep inside of them, and they're agitated by it. They're, they're bothered by it. They're cut by it. They feel the pain of it. That's where we get the idea of conviction. And they're like, so what must we do? They, there was confusion. Hey, here's how you understand it. Here's God's word. 
They discern from God's word that the Jesus that they crucified has now been made Lord and Christ, and now they feel the conviction. So what is the correlation? What is the connection between conviction and discernment? Or we could state it another way. What is the connection between discernment and conviction? So I want you to write those two words down, discernment and conviction. And the rest of this week for the Bible study exercise, I want you to just think of the ways these are connected, but I want you, and I'm going to give you just a couple of principles to consider. All right. So let's think this through. All right. And I wrote down, I wrote down three things. I thought about more, but I want to just kind of get you started. I mean, it's Monday. We got the whole week to work on this. We could probably do some more teaching on Acts 2. We're going to be working on the baptismal aspects of it. So we got a lot to do for this week, but at least to kind of get you thinking. I still want you doing your word study on discernment, but I want you thinking about this. I want you to think you. Number one, I want you to be thinking about the connection between discernment and conviction. I want you to really think about how this works, how this works and you, you, well, I don't want to give too much away. I want you to just try to process it, right? There's number one. I want you to just think about the connection between discernment and conviction. Number two, and I want, I want you to write this one down. We should never, never, and I mean never, base our discernment on conviction, This is very, very important. Never base your discernment on your conviction. This, I think, is troubling. And you say, what do I mean by that? Some people will, they're trying to discern something, whether something is right, whether it's something wrong. They're trying to discern what God's word says. And I've literally had Christians do this. I've tried, I teach something in the Bible and they will say, well, the Holy Spirit hasn't convicted me yet. If that is true or false, I, the Holy Spirit hasn't convicted me yet that that is wrong. I'm like, what are you talking about? Your discernment is not based off your conviction. You don't say, well, because my conviction, therefore I'm going to, my discernment is based off how I feel. Conviction is a feeling. It's an emotion. You can never base discernment on a feeling or emotion. Discernment must always be based on God's word. And God's word is not discerned or interpreted or understood based off your conviction or your feeling. That is so wacky and messed up. But I, yeah, I, 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 I reviewed a sermon this evening. Where at the end of that sermon, we didn't listen to this part. Well, may have to, we may have to do a, a sermon review just on this part. But basically, they're like, okay, the sermon is over. Now, okay, let's get really quiet. And let, let's ask the Holy Spirit, like, what I'm supposed to do with this passage. So it's like, he didn't really exegete the text. He didn't really expound the text. Now everyone's just supposed to sit there in, in silence while the praise music goes, you know, well, the praise music is playing, you know, quietly and they got the lights lowered and then you're just supposed to sit there and go, Holy Spirit, what am I supposed to do with this text? What am I supposed to feel about this text? What am I supposed to believe about this text? That whole, that turns the whole thing, the whole process into some kind of emotional manipulation, mystical nonsense. No, the text says what the text says. What I have to do is what am I supposed to do based on what the text says and based on what the text means, not based on some conviction, based on some feeling. The conviction and feeling must flow from the discernment and the discernment must flow from God's word. What what drives my discernment is God's word. I go to God's word. But I can't determine, and, and so you think about it, discernment should be determined by God's word and the proper interpretation of it, right? Which obviously requires discernment. But, but there, so discernment is involved in the process with God's word, but you just can't have your conviction determining your discernment. Your discernment is this idea of perceiving, of seeing, of understanding, of being able to judge. That can't be based off a conviction, it can't be because a conviction is a feeling. Discernment should be grounded and based off God's word. The source, the thing that drives our discernment has to be something outside of ourselves. It's God's word. God's word doesn't care about my feelings, my emotions. 
it's, it's separate from that. So I go to God's word and my discernment is based off interpreting it correctly through the proper steps of biblical interpretation, proper Bible study methods, proper hermeneutical methods, hermeneutical principles. Then once I discern it, then that should lead to the conviction. So as I, again, as I, as I wrote it down, we should never base our discernment on our conviction. And whenever you hear a Christian, well, I haven't been convicted by that. I haven't, I'm not, I haven't been convicted about that. Well, I haven't been convicted that that is true. They, they were basing their discernment on a conviction. They've got the process completely backwards. It's wrong. It's wrong. You don't do that. And so many, and, and so many times you'll hear this in some small group settings or Sunday school settings where it's very much like it's a free-for-all and everyone gets to tell you what they think the text means, which is just usually spiritual anarchy, and craziness, and chaos. Well, I, I, I just, uh, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not convicted, uh, or I haven't been convicted uh, that that's the way that is, or, or I, I, I feel this, or I feel this about the text, and so they are basing their discernment on, well, their own personal conviction and on, on how they're feeling, and that cannot occur. So, number one, what is the connection between discernment and conviction? Number two, we should never base our discernment on conviction. Number three, conviction should be based on truthful discernment. Conviction should be based on truthful discernment. When I, if I take, and I've already hinted at that, but if I take the word of God and I read it and I study it and I study it correctly and faithfully, right? And I interpret it. Now, remember, now listen, it must be based off a truthful discerning of God's word. Now, this is so important. So the quality of your conviction hinges on the quality of your discernment, bad discernment, bad conviction, right? If you discern that the word of God doesn't say this is wrong, or if you discern, here's what's even really bad. You discern that the word of God is condemning something. It doesn't actually condemn. Then what you do is you start living under, well, a man-made tradition and a man-made law, and you become convicted by thinking you're doing something wrong, when in reality, the scriptures don't say anything about that. And I've seen Christians live that way. Well, I can't do this and I can't do that. God's word condemns it. I'm like, wait, wait, are you, where are you getting the idea that God word, God's word condemns that? And it's based off a of tradition, some list of rules that someone gave them. Your discernment Bad discernment, bad conviction. In other words, you can be convicted when you shouldn't be convicted, or you can feel not convicted when you should be convicted. This is so very important. So let's get these two things down. Let's get these two things down. This is worth, this is worth the price of admission, right? This is worth the, the $3.99 per minute I charge to do these. Bri- okay, I'm, char- I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. All right, here we go. We should never base our discernment on our conviction. That's a no. Don't do that. I don't care what you're convicted. I don't care what you feel. I don't care what, what, what you, you, you're convicted that this is right or this is wrong. No, let's take the scriptures and then you study them. You try to, pro, you, first of all, you observe them because the quality of your observation determines the quality of your interpretation. Bible study is 99% observation and 1% interpretation. In reality, I think we should separate Bible study from hermeneutics. Bible study is observation, observation, observation. Then we move over to hermeneutical principles of interpretation. I think sometimes there's much confusion there. But after doing extensive observational study, then we move to interpretive study. Then the quality of that interpretation will determine the quality, the, the quality of your observation will determine the quality of your interpretation. Observation, then interpretation. That's the correct way. Well, when it comes to this, your, the quality of your discernment will determine your conviction. It can, you can never base your discernment on your conviction. So I always listen to when Christians talk, well, I'm convinced I feel I, this, I, that I, 
You're no, 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 no. That's when everything goes haywire. No, it's still always going to be messy and it's never going to be perfect because we're fallible, but we have to at least make sure what is, what is driving my discernment? When you, when you offer your discernment, your judgment, your perception, what is driving it? And if what's driving it is some personal conviction, some personal feeling, then your discernment is all messed up. It's all messed up. All right. Then number three, you, you your conviction should be based on truthful discernment. Your, your discernment should not be based on, or I'm sorry, we should never base our discernment on conviction, but our conviction should be based on truthful discernment. Has to be. Think about Eve. Think, think about Eve, right? We'll go back to Eve. Satan's being discerning, right? He's using his discernment in a wrong way. He gets her to focus, to turn her attention from what she can have to what she can't have. He then basically straight, basically straight straight up says, God's wrong. God's word is wrong. You're not going to die. She stops thinking about God's word. And then what does she start basing her discernment on, right? Her discernment is based off what basically a conviction, a feeling, right? She's now convinced that this tree is good for food. She's now convinced, she's now convicted that this tree is pleasant to the eyes. She's now convinced, she's now convicted that this is to be desired to make one wise. She is now, her discernment is being based off this personal conviction, this personal feeling. Well, then her discernment is wrong. Her discernment is completely wrong. I hope that makes sense. You should never base your discernment on conviction and conviction must be based on truthful discernment. And And again, I've already kind of given you the answer because I asked, how are these related? I'm giving you the ways that conviction and discernment are related. But here is, I'm going to, so number one, connection, what is the connection between discernment and conviction? I want you thinking about it. I've given you, in a sense, two direction, two points, but two explanations of how they're connected, but okay, here we go. Number two, we should never base our discernment, uh, we should never base our discernment on conviction. And number three, conviction should be based on truthful discernment. So what should we do for number four? What should we do for number four? What do you think? What do you think? I'm moving everything over. What do you think for number four? What do you think? I think we have to acknowledge this. It is possible. It is possible to discern the truth but not feel hang on how do we want to word this i want to be very careful here i'm going to i'm going to put this forth as kind of a hypothesis kind of as a theory but i think we have to acknowledge this i think it is possible to discern the truth but not feel deep conviction about it I think it's possible. I think we have to, we, I think this is important to real. I think we have to acknowledge that. I know we don't want to acknowledge this, right? Because some people say, well, if you truly discern that to be true, you would be convicted by it. I, I don't know. I, when we think of conviction as this deep feeling, if we go with the acts too, that were pricked in their hearts. If we really kind of connect that to conviction, I think conviction could just be, I think it can be, you're just convinced it's true. But I want to at least Look at it from this perspective. It is possible. I think that, and we have to acknowledge this, that we can discern without any question, that's what God, God's word says. We can discern it. We acknowledge it. We see it. We perceive it. We understand it. We've got it down, but not be convicted 
with any deep emotion about it. Let me give you an example. I can st- I, I've stood in front of all, who knows how many Christians over my years of teaching or sat in front of a microphone talking to who knows how many Christians in my, in my ministry. And you can say, look, the Bible says that, the, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. As a newborn babe, you should desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. You're to study to show yourself approved, that the word of God is to be desired more than food, more than silver and gold. You should lo- meditate on God's word day and night. You should love it. You should seek it. You should memorize it. You should read it. You should think about it. You should be meditating on it. And I could say all of these things and people can discern, well, that's what the Bible says. If you were to ask them, well, the Bible says that the word of God is this wonderful, great, amazing, beautiful thing. I should partake of it. I should, I should study it. I should read it. I should, everyone can discern that. They may be convinced even that that is absolutely true, but they may never truly feel the weight of the conviction of that. They may never feel the, they may not be convicted that they don't meditate on it day and night. They may not feel the, and when I say conviction here, I'm talking about an emotional, deep, like being pricked to the heart. They may never feel that. Now, some people say, well, well, that means they're not saved. No, I, I, I think that that's completely, well, first of all, that's making salvation dependent on a feeling. I'm saved because of what Christ did for me, not what I do or don't do. But I think we have to acknowledge this. And why do we have to acknowledge this? This is so important. Because if I realize sometimes I don't feel that conviction, I have to realize that has nothing to do with the truth that I have discerned. My lack of conviction doesn't make the truth that I discern any less true. There are times I don't feel the conviction. I don't feel it about countless things. And come on, don't sit there and go, oh, what is wrong with him? He's so ungodly. You know, there's things you don't feel that much conviction about. There's some sins that you're like, boom, man, you just like knock to the floor and you're like, man, I feel it. And there's other times you're like, you know, yeah, I know I'm supposed to do that. Yeah, I know I'm not supposed to have a bad attitude. Yeah, I know I'm not to be supposed to be bitter. I, you know, that it's it's not that you don't discern it. It's not even that you haven't been convinced of it. You just haven't felt that conviction. You haven't been pricked to the heart. That's a reality. Now here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna add I'm gonna add something here. All right. So number one. What is the connection between discernment and conviction? Number two, we should never base our discernment on conviction. Number three, conviction should always be based on truthful discernment. Number four, it is possible to discern the truth, but not feel deep conviction about it. This is number five. We must strive. We must strive to be honest about the truth we have discerned, right? I'm writing this in real time. The truth we have discerned no matter the feelings or lack thereof. Now, this is important. This, this is so important. And this is really connected. But I want you to hear this one, okay? We must strive to be honest about the truth we have discerned, no matter the feelings or lack thereof. We can't, whatever we've discerned, it doesn't matter the feeling. 
right? If I've discerned that something isn't wrong or something isn't sinful, then it doesn't matter if I feel guilty. No. Now, some people say, well, no, no, you got to go with your conscience. Your conscience there, if it's not based off God's word, your conscience is not always a true, truthful indicator of right and wrong. I, I, should, I, now we can get all, I've talked about conscience. I've looked at it from Catholic, I've, I've done so much teaching on conscience because I struggle with what a lot of Christians say in regards to it. But sometimes your the, the, the quality of your conscience depends on what has formulated or formed the conscience, right? This goes back to kind of early church concepts of the formation of the conscience. Wrong formation of the conscience, your conscience is convicting you of something that isn't even right. This goes back to conviction. So this is very important. No matter, we must strive to be honest about the truth we have discerned. No matter the feelings or the lack thereof. If the feelings is like, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's bad. You can't do that. You can't do that. No, 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 no. My feelings are irregardless. What have I discerned in the God's word? If I have truth, truthful discernment, if I have discerned in God's word, then whoa, 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 whoa. That, the Bible doesn't really condemn that then I need to stop. It doesn't matter what my feelings are. But this is something also we have to be be willing to do. Sometimes we discern that the Bible says something is a sin and we don't feel conviction about it. We have to be willing to be honest about the truth that's discerned. We can't go change the Bible because of a lack of conviction. And this happens all the time. Is well, I don't feel... I don't feel convicted by, by this. I don't, convi- I don't feel any conviction. I don't have any feeling. So I don't think it's wrong. Well, no, 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 no. What does the text say? I know this is kind of just, this is kind of trying to flesh out even more some of the previous points. What I'm striving for is that as believers, this is the best we can do. But because of our sinful nature, we're, we're always going to sin. We're always going to be in sin in some way, shape, or form. That's just the reality. But the best we can try to do is at least do this. Look, I know God's word says this is wrong. I understand it's wrong, okay? I, I either don't feel the conviction or I feel the conviction, but, but whatever I feel, irregardless, I'm admitting that it's wrong. It's just that willingness to admit, I know this is wrong. Now you say, well, if you know it's wrong, you should stop it. Well, in theory, we should, you can argue that we know all sin is wrong, but obviously we're not going to stop sinning. So knowing something is wrong does not equal stopping it, okay? Because we know it's wrong to sin, but we all still sin. We know that we're, it's wrong not to be holy as God is holy, but we will never be as holy as God is holy. We know it's wrong not to love the Lord that God with all our heart, mind, body, and soul, but we will never love God with all of our heart, mind, body, and soul. We know it's not right to not love our neighbor as so, but we never will. Okay. So, so let's just be honest about that, but we have to at least be honest. The key is we can't start working to undermine the truth we have discerned or to redefine it to fit our feelings or to just re- write it out of existence because we don't feel bad about it. That's when it becomes a problem. So let's go through this again. What is the connection between discernment and conviction? I've given you lots of ideas, but I want you to think about it. Number two, we should never base our discernment on conviction. Number three, conviction should be based on truthful discernment. Number four, it is possible to discern the truth, but not feel deep conviction about it. It's, we just have to be honest about that. And number five, we must strive to be honest about the truth we have discerned, no matter the Feelings or lack thereof. And there you have it on this Monday evening as we talk about discernment and conviction. Now, remember, this is so important. We are discerning things, that that discernment arises from inside of us. So our discernment is always flawed a little bit. Let's just be honest, right? Because we have a sinful nature, right? We have a sinful nature, which always impacts our discernment. Praise God that what God gave us to base and to formulate and to drive our discernment is something outside of us. It's external to us. It's the word of God. Now, what we have to do is try to take the word of God and keep ourselves out of it as much as possible. Our feelings, our opinions, the way we were raised, what our, what all of that we have to keep. We just got to, and we have to be very academic, right? We got to use rules, 
right? Definitions of words, syntax, context, historical background, grammar. We got to use all of these principles, right? Then we formulate, here's what it says. We have to discern what it says. Once we figure out what it says, then everything, that's how we should, our discernment flows from that. There's a, the discernment is involved in trying to figure out what it says. But once we figure it, that's what should drive our discernment from that point forward. After we figured it out, everything else we discern about right and wrong, truth and error must flow from that correct understanding of God's word. Not our feelings, not our emotions. And then the minute we do that, then we should never base my discernment on my conviction. So the one thing I leave out of my trying to figure out God's word or figuring out right and wrong is any personal conviction. That, that, can't, that can't come into play because it could lead me either to do what is wrong because I don't feel conviction about it or to stay away from something is right because I feel a conviction that's not based off truth. Conviction should be based on truthful discernment. And then it is, it is possible, we have to admit this, to discern the truth and not feel deep conviction about it. We just got to go, man, sometimes I just, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel really convicted by it. And I gave you example. There's lots of things I can, I can preach and people just kind of look at you like, whatever, I don't care. I don't care. Whatever. Now they may not say it that way, but you can just see it in their eyes. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to study my, I'm not going to do anything extra. I don't feel any conviction. I don't feel bad about it at all. And then lastly, we must strive. We have to strive to be honest about the truth we have discerned, no matter the feelings or lack there. We just got to be honest about it. You say, well, what good is it to be honest about it if it doesn't change the behavior? Well, look, we're going to sin no matter what. We just got to be, but I just think, I just think it's better when Christians are just honest about, look, I'm not going to justify this. I know what I'm doing is not right. I understand it. I know it's not right. It doesn't, and, and, and you say, well, you should change. You should change your behavior. But again, I know it's not right to sin, but I'm still going to sin. That's just the reality because of my depraved nature. But if we can at least be honest with ourselves, then we're not pretending and we understand what we're doing. And, and, and I, 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 you think, well, there's gotta, it's got to be better than that. I'm sorry. It's just not. We're, we're going to sin constantly. It's just the, the reality of the Christian. That's why my salvation has to be based off an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness, and an alien foreign, foreign righteousness that's outside of myself. But at least we can be honest with ourselves. What, what things that baffle me, right? I'm not baffled, not shocked, not dismayed, not confused at all that there could be people who are born depraved sinners who could end up with same-sex attraction. I'm not shocked by that, right? Because we're, we're all born sinners, right? We, we all have a wrong attraction to something. We have attraction to sin, desires for sin, whether it's heterosexual, homosexual, it doesn't matter. We all have the, because we all have a sinful nature. I'm not shocked by that. What I'm shocked is someone to then somehow go to God's word and then say, hey, my discernment says God's word doesn't condemn this action, okay? And you're like, well, wait a minute. If you can discern that it doesn't condemn your action, uh, I'm not even going to argue with you because if we're going to play that game, you can go away and come back in a couple of months because I'm going to have a list of all the actions that I don't believe the Bible condemns. What blows my mind is the great lengths some people will go to to try to convince that, no, this this isn't wrong or the level some people will go to try to convince me something is sinful and you're like, what are you basing? It's just sometimes weird concepts and they're not even consistent with their own concepts. I've talked about it before. You know, when I was uh, very much in, right there in the world of the independent fundamental Baptist, man, there's list of rules. Playing cards is a sin. What? No, it's not even, it's, even if you're not playing for money, just playing cards, just the game is sinful. Because the cards somehow are sinful and you're committing you're sinful. And you're like, what scripture? And then, of course, the go-to is love, not the world. Cards are in the world. But then they would be on Saturday watching eight hours of college football. And that was okay. College football's okay. Playing cards is wrong. What? Okay. Well, going to the movie theater. Wrong. It's a sin. Like literally a sin. 
But you could go to Blockbuster and rent 15 movies and you're okay. So Blockbuster, okay, movie theater, secular music, all bad. Secular movies, okay. What? What? Who, who comes up with these rules, right? Who You can be at home watching football, good to go, but you could not be at home listening to contemporary Christian music because that's worldly. And it was these weird, but they would tell you it's a sin. And they were, they were adding these things, telling you that you were, it didn't matter how you feel you're in sin. And you're like, where are you getting this? And so then some people raised in that world would have a conviction. And I'm like, but where is it in God's word? And if you're going to go with God's word saying that's wrong, then you have to be apply it to, we we get weird with our, it goes to our discernment, but it goes to conviction. And some people say, well, it's my personal conviction. Well, okay, great. Keep your personal conviction personal. But they were always, but they would always say it's a personal conviction and then shove it down your throat. And you, you're called, your Christian life is called into question because you don't follow their personal conviction. Personal conviction should not influence how you discern the Bible. Your discernment cannot be based off a personal conviction. It has to be, discernment has to be based off the word of God. All right. I am discerning based off feeling that the beginning of this wasn't great. I kind of went into a little bit more about what we were trying to do with baptism, and then I messed up. I couldn't remember. It was Tertullian and Hippolytus. I I got the names. I I, I couldn't remember the names. So I'm discerning. See, based off my feeling, ah, that wasn't really good. Now, maybe my feelings are right. Maybe my feelings are wrong. But I would need an objective standard in whether to discern whether it was good or bad. Now, based off an objective standard, I may go back and listen and may perceive that it's wrong, but I need an objective standard. If if I don't have an objective standard, then it's all subjective. It's all feelings. And then who knows? You see how this, this is practical in so many different areas. Bible, just in your life. You're always, there's always this conviction, which is a feeling, Right? Convinced of feeling. In fact, if you look up Merriam Webster, well, we, we already seen uh, you know, the, the 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 Greek word that's translated prick to the heart in Acts, that's de- definitely dealing with feeling and emotion. It, it it definitely carries that idea. But if you even look up the English word for con- conviction, uh, it's the a strong persuasion or belief. The act of convincing a person of error or of compelling the admission of a truth. The state of being convinced of error or compelled to admit the truth. Now, that may be a little bit more black and white or academic, but there's still there's feelings involved in conviction, especially the Acts 2 passage. And I'm really going with that feeling part. And the feeling part cannot be the basis of anything. So there's times I get done with an episode. And I'm like, I, my feelings are like, that was trash. That was God. I'm going to delete it. And guess what? I'll get emails from that one going, thank you so much for that episode. That was so helpful. And then there'll be times I'll be convinced, man, that was good. I'm going to get like a hundred emails. I'm going to get comments. People are going to, we're going to have like, uh, there's going to be like 10 hours of discussion about this on the discord server. This is going to be, nobody says a word. And I'm like, what? What did I do wrong? What's wrong with everybody? See, my discernment is trying to judge is being based off a feeling and feelings are not good. Eve could have discerned based off God's word, but she allowed her discernment to be hijacked by what she saw was good for food, what was pleasant to the eyes and what was to be desired to make one wise. So her, her discernment was being based off this, these convictions, these feelings, and then her discernment ended up wrong. When she should have been, her, what should have been based, her discernment should have been based on God's word, which was outside of her that said, it doesn't matter how you feel, doesn't matter what you see, doesn't matter what you desire, you can't have it or you're going to die. All right. This should spark some good conversation. News. 
newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. And of course, those in the Discord channel. Let the conversations begin. Well, no, if, if they decide to talk about it. But you're always free to. All right, newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a wonderful, wonderful night. I am going to check really quick the Sermons 2.0 app just to see how we're doing tonight. Eh, so-so, not great. You know, I, I, I'm starting to try to figure out that during the day, there's, there's specific hours during the day, and I don't know exactly where they are. That's where our numbers seem to be the most. And then there's specific times where no one's listening. And I haven't figured it out, but I, I'm not going to base my, when I go live based off numbers. I'm just going to go live whenever I want to walk upstairs and go live. Okay. All right. Well, there's your Bible study exercise for this week. Discernment and conviction. Spend some time thinking about it. I've given you some principles. I would love to get your thoughts on all of this. Do your word study on discernment. And well, if you're if you want to dig into the baptismal baptism discussion, the uh, baptism in the early church. We'll get that series structured and all ready to go. We've already got one episode on for that early church and baptism, and that gives you the three historical documents that I want you looking at. But I had to mention that tonight. I wanted to just get into a discussion about discernment and conviction, but I had to talk about the baptism just to keep everyone on the same page for the Bible study exercise, because I know they're going to read Acts 2 and go, what in the world is all of this baptism stuff, what do we do with it? And that would be great questions, but it would be not correct to try to deal with that in this setting. So we're setting up a separate series so we don't ignore it, neglect it. There we go. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.